0: Good morning. My name is Keith Hendrick, and I have the privilege of serving here as an elder. And it is great to be here today with you. Can I get an amen from Nancy Thompson, please? Thank you. <laughs> there's going to be amens after we read this passage because it's a it's a, it's a very exciting piece, and there's a, a it's it's just chock full of great stuff. So, we're in Acts chapter eight, versing at start, starting at verse 26. Uh, in your Bible. You can find it on 1166, or you can follow along on the, on the screens. Acts chapter 8, starting at verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent. So he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? And then Philip opened his mouth But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. It's God's precious word for us today. Well, this week we are looking at
1: this encounter that Philip has with this Ethiopian man, and we're, we're doing this in order to see how God not only pursues us, which is what we looked at last week. He pursues us in our lost condition, but also this week what we're really focusing on is how he prepares our hearts and he prepares our circumstances in in such a way as to, to bring us to a place where we would have faith in him and be saved. There are three big ideas that I would like to, to try to point out to us this morning, and so we'll, we'll go ahead and jump in. The first one is notice how in this account how how divinely orchestrated all of the circumstances are this. This entire encounter is orchestrated by God. A messenger from the Lord appears to Philip, and he instructs Philip to start heading in a particular direction toward a road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. And so Philip starts to go down that road, and, and along that road he meets up with a chariot, and. In this chariot is an African man, an Ethiopian, a eunuch. There probably wouldn't have been many Africans in Palestine. Not, not seen very often, even, even less of a chance to run into someone from Ethiopia. Ethiopia was, was pretty much on the fringe of what would have been referred to as the known world. You think about, um, when Jesus says in Acts chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, And you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the outermost parts of the earth. Well, Ethiopia would be considered by the people who lived during that day as being the outermost parts of the earth. The fringes of what, what they would have known of. It's at the other end of the Red Sea from from Palestine. So here here he is riding in this chariot this this Ethiopian man on the same road with Philip. And then the Spirit tells Philip to go and essentially be near the chariot. It says, join the chariot, depending on what, what translation you have. I know that when I first read this passage, it was years ago, I, I don't even remember how long ago it was, but I, I just assumed here that the chariot must have been parked. Because how else would you have a conversation with someone who's in the chariot unless they were sitting still? But actually, most commentators actually think that that this Ethiopian man was riding along in the chariot and that actually God said, go be near the chariot. Do, 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 can you envision what, what God is actually asking Philip to do? Hey, how's it going? What you reading? I mean, that, this is not normal behavior but it appears that that's that's what as comical as it may be uh, what what god has asked philip to do and so i just want you to see before we, we go any any further here just just to notice how it's the spirit of god that is behind everything that's happening here it's it's what's behind the conversion of this man philip is not the one who's bringing this to pass the Ethiopian man himself is not the one who is bringing this to pass. It's the Spirit of God that is choreographing all of this. Notice, too, that it's, that it's not cultural. It's not the culture that has created the environment that is conducive for this to happen for this man. This man is from a completely different culture. It's not a culture in which he, up to this point, would have had the opportunity to really hear the gospel. I think modern people, there, there, are, there are some modern people today that, that if this were happening today, they would, they would object. They would say something like, you know, it's not right for Philip to be proselytizing this man, to be trying to convert this man to believe Christianity because it would be somehow an offense to his culture, that Christianity is a belief system that's rooted in Western civilization. And so, so Philip is trying to impose his, his belief system and his culture on this man, and that's not right to do. And I think if you look at, if you only look at other religions, then you might say, well, okay, yeah, maybe, maybe religion is somewhat cultural. I mean, most, most religions do tend to be cultural this way. If you think about Islam, Islam tends to be associated with some particular cultures. Other relations, other religions like, like Hinduism and Buddhism and Confucianism and Shintoism, even Judaism, tend to be culturally-based religions. But Christianity is different. Christianity is not defined or tied down to any particular culture. The assumption that some modern people make that Christianity is primarily a Western belief system is just not really accurate. Christianity started in a Jewish culture... And then very quickly the, the Holy Spirit moved it into the Greek and Roman culture. And right here, this is still very early in the history of Christianity, God is, is bringing Christianity into an Afri- the, the life of an African man. And so it enters into an African culture. And so it's, it's the Holy Spirit that's working, and we see it, we see it in, in this man's life. So, so the so the summary is Philip didn't do it. This man didn't do it. Not even the culture accomplished this. It was the Spirit of God who was working and orchestrating this entire encounter. The second thing that that I want us to see is the context in which all of this is happening is the context of human relationship. Human relationship is is an essential ingredient here. for for the conversion of this African man, and I would argue into the conversion of most people. We see it in the first and last questions that this man asks of Philip. We see it in verse 31 where where he says, How can I understand what I'm reading unless someone explains it to me? And then the last question he asks in verse 37, where they come upon this, this body of water... And he says, is there any reason why I should not be baptized? I think both of these questions are are emphasizing and highlighting the fact that all of this is happening in the context of a human relationship. Think about who this man is. We're told that he is the official in charge of the treasury of the queen of Ethiopia. I think some things that we we can draw from this is he's a pretty successful person. He has a very high ranking job. My guess is that he's a fairly wealthy person. he you think about just just looking at the context here he owns his own chariot that's a, that would be a sign of wealth in this day and time. You could make the argument that not only does he own his own chariot but he has a driver. He's reading as he rides along. You shouldn't read and drive. do you hear that? If you take anything away from this sermon, take, no, I'm just kidding. But, but that's true. I mean, you know, you don't, you don't drive and read. No, he's, the fact that he's reading probably suggests that there's someone else operating the chariot. He even has his own copy of the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. That, not many people, not many Jewish people had their own copy of the scroll of Isaiah. We also see here that he is a, he is a fairly learned man. He's reading. He knows how to read. If you knew how to read in this day and time, that would put you into, to essentially a very elite intellectual class. So he's educated. He's fairly wealthy. He's a person of influence. He's a very capable person. And yet, how does he respond to Philip? Philip is, is running alongside the chariot. He says, "Hey, do you need any help understanding what you're reading?" We might have expected a person like this, with with resources and education and all that, to to say something like, "Well, you know, listen, dude, I didn't get to where I am in this life by asking from help, asking for help from people the likes of you. You don't even own your own chariot. Why would I ask you for help?" But that's not his response. He doesn't he doesn't approach it that way at all. He's very humble. He says, "Yes, I need help." I need someone to help me understand what I'm reading. And so the context for this man's conversion is fellowship. It's community. He welcomes a new relationship into his life as he admits that he needs help and he can't do it himself. If you think about if, if you, here's what, here's what I'm really trying to say. If you are thinking somehow that you can have a meaningful relationship with God without interacting and having meaningful relationships with other people, I think you're naive. I understand that desire. I understand. I've heard many people say, you know, I just, I just kind of want to have my own personal relationship with God over here. I've heard people say, you know, me and, me and God, we, we've kind of worked out an arrangement you know, and I have an understanding and he understands me, and we kind of have this thing going on over here, but I really don't need the church. I really don't need Christians. I really don't need to have relationships with other people who who have a relationship with God. I just have my own personal deal with God. That's not Christianity. It may have aspects of Christianity, but it's not it's not really the context for Christianity that God has designed us for. God is personal. And we're going, to, we're going to see even more in this man's life how personal God really is to him. But God is not only personal. God is not private. Think about the metaphors that the Scriptures use to describe the people of God. The Scriptures say that we're a temple. We are living stones that God is assembling into a temple by which he, in, in which he will live by his Spirit. You can't be a stone in the temple of God unless you're prepared to rub up against other stones in the temple. We're also called God's family. Well, guess what? You can't be a member of God's family unless you're willing to be a sibling in God's family. That means we have brothers and sisters. We, we have relationships with each other. We need to be connected. We also see it in this last question that that the Ethiopian man asks of Philip, where they come to this piece of water and, and he says, is there any reason why I should not be baptized? I don't think what he's doing at this point is saying, hey, you need to baptize me. He's not saying, hey, I've just had this meaningful encounter with God and I know Christians get baptized, so I need to be baptized. I don't think that's what he's saying. I think instead what he's saying is, you know, I think this is making sense to me. I think, I think what you're explaining to me is something that I believe and I want in my life. And I've, and I've heard that people who follow Christ get baptized. So what I want to ask you is, is there some reason that I would be kept from being baptized? In other words, he's not making a declaration that I have arrived and I have faith and I need to do this. He's, he's submitting himself to Philip saying this seems to make sense to me but I don't want to be self-accredited and so I'm asking you do you think it's appropriate for me to be baptized? Am I understanding this right? He's subjecting himself to to the assessment and the evaluation of a brother. Think about what, what the body of Christ would be like if we all took that posture toward each other. Where instead of saying, Hey, guess what I learned? I'm going to tell you. Or, I'm telling you that this is right. This is true. As if we speak from authority. But instead we said, You know, I've been studying this and this is what, this is what it seems to be saying in my, as I understand it. What do you think about it? Let, let's, let's compare. Let's learn from each other instead of me just declaring from a position of authority. What if I humbled myself and I said, This is what seems to me to be right. What do you think about that? Where we're not just self-accredited. We're not just self-declaring. But we say, you know what? I'm no better than you. You have a mind. The Holy Spirit's working in your life. What's the Spirit teaching you? What do, what do you think is coming from this? Where we came before the Lord together. Where we approach God's Word together. Where we approach questions of how we, how we go forward as a church together. Together. I think that's what, what this Ethiopian man is modeling for us, that he comes humbly, willing to be under the authority, subjected to his brethren in the Lord. There's no such thing as a self-made Christian. There's no such thing as, as someone who has made this happen, that I have discovered this myself, and I have. this has been the, the, the smartest decision I've ever made. This is the work of God bringing about his conversion and the context for it is relationship with some with another human being the third thing that we see in this passage is really the big idea it's it's seeing how what's going on in our life is part of something bigger than us it's what's what god is doing in in my life is part of something that god is already doing that's bigger than me and and I fit into it. And God is preparing me. God is preparing this man, and God is preparing you. This man is reading. We're we're told we're told that he is reading from Isaiah chapter fifty three, verses seven and eight. And I have I've included this passage in the the front part of your worship guide as part of the the reflection. And so I, I my hope was that that you had an opportunity to maybe take a look at it, and if you haven't already, you can you can do so now. I'm, I'm going to read it in a, in a moment. But but essentially, he's, he's reading this this passage, and we know this. Um, you may say, well, Dan, how do you know that that's what he's reading? Well, because I looked at the footnote in the passage, and you could do that too. Um, the, the, the section of Scripture is quoted for us, and, and in most of your Bibles, if you look at the footnote, it'll tell you that this quote that he's reading in the Old Testament is from Isaiah 53, 7 and 8. And so when this man understands, with Philip's help, what this passage is saying, his life is changed. He has had a, an incredible encounter with God, and his life is changed forever. And so the question that I think we need to, to try to think through here is, well, what did he learn? What was it about what he was learning in this passage that changed his life? Because I think if we understand what changed his life, there's a very good chance that it will change our life as well. In order to know what he learned, I think we need to understand a little bit more about him, about his background. We already know that he's an intelligent man, right? He seems to be educated, seems to be able to read, he seems to be having access to to literature that he can read for himself. We know that he is pretty successful. We know that he is essentially the CFO, the chief financial officer for the Queen of Ethiopia and so we these are the things that we already know about him what I think we also can discern about him is that he has paid a tremendous price for his success it was very unusual for someone who was not born of nobility to rise to such a high level of success professionally and the reason for that, the reason it was so unusual for someone who was not born of nobility to to become to be placed and entrusted in a position like this is kind of a chicken and egg equation first for obvious reasons commoners did not have access to education they didn't have access to the kind of education that would typically allow someone to ascend to to a position like this not only that But in general, commoners were not trusted, particularly common men, were not trusted to be in close personal relationship with noble people, particularly noble women. And so because of this, in order for a common person to get into a position of success and influence close to the queen of Ethiopia... This man had to be sexually altered. He has given up the opportunity ever to have a family. I think that is part of the cost that he has paid for his success. He couldn't be in this position if this were not the case. By the way, that's what the word eunuch means. We know this because we're told he's a eunuch. And so so this is this is his situation. This is a tremendous cost, foregoing the possibility of even having a family. And that's that's part of the price that he has paid. Another thing that, that I think that, that we can see about this man is that appears, it appears to me at least, that in spite of all his success, all of his power, he seems to be relatively unfulfilled. And the reason I say that is because we're told that he has gone to Jerusalem to worship and now is on his way home. He has traveled hundreds of miles from a completely different culture, a completely different part of the world, in order to worship the God of Israel in the temple in Jerusalem. I would suggest that this would, would, would imply that, that he is a person who is in a pretty high level of search mode. That he is seeking after something. That he has heard something about the God of Israel and he has traveled great length to to come to the temple. I also think that we can be fairly confident that he has been turned away And his visit to the temple has been unhelpful. Why do I say that? Well, we know that at this particular day and time that he would not have been welcomed in the temple. He's a Gentile. He looks different. He talks different. He's from a completely different part of the world. And we know the attitude of the Jews during that time toward Gentiles. He would not have been welcomed in. Now you might say, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. There's a part of the temple that he would be welcomed into, right? Isn't there, you know, if you go to the back of your Bible and you look at the diagram of the temple of Israel, you know, in Jerusalem, you'll see that there's a there's an area in the temple that's called the court of the Gentiles. And that's true. But do you know what the court of the Gentiles was being used for at this particular time in the history of Israel? It was a market for selling sheep. How do we know that? Because remember when Jesus famously goes into the temple and and he sees them buying and selling animals and he starts turning tables over in the temple? You remember that? What does he say in explanation for why he's doing this? He says, "...it is written that my Father's house will be a house of prayer for all nations." Why did he say that? He said it because this particular part of the temple where this activity is going on was the court of the Gentiles. And because they had turned it into a marketplace for selling sheep and goats, the Gentiles had no place to come and worship. So this man, traveling all this distance to come to the temple of Israel, the temple of Jerusalem, was without doubt turned away unfulfilled. And so, all of this is culminating in this man's life. And so here's, here's what I think is, is going on. We know that, that he's riding in his chariot, he's reading from the prophet Isaiah in, in the fifties, in, you know, in, in the chapters that we would number among the fifties, because the part that he quotes is from Isaiah 53 verses seven and eight. But as his scroll was opened to Isaiah 53, there would have been other scriptures that would also have been within his field of vision. And one of those that, that I think is is very significant is Isaiah chapter 56, verses 3 through 5. And that's also printed in your bulletin at the beginning. And let me, let me just read this for you. And I want you to hear this scripture and, and try to imagine how profound this would have been for this Ethiopian man as he read this. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, The Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord, To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast to my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a better name than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall never be cut off. Imagine this Ethiopian man reading this passage and then traveling all this distance to worship God in his temple and then being turned away. He must be saying, How can this be? This just doesn't make sense. How can it be true that God says this, but I, because I'm a Gentile and I, because I'm a eunuch, can't even gain access? All this culminating at this point in his life, at the moment that Philip approaches his chariot, and he is reading these words. Let me, let me go back. I, I actually want to read a couple of additional verses. Not only do I want to read Isaiah 53, 7 and 8, but I'd, I'd like to go back a couple of verses earlier to verse 3. Listen to what, what this man has just been reading as, as Philip approaches. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken and smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that has brought us peace, and by his wounds we are healed. And so he turns to Philip, having just read this, and he says, Tell me, is the prophet, who, who's the prophet talking about? Is he talking about himself? Or is he talking about somebody else? And Philip says, Let me tell you about Jesus Christ. Let me tell you about the one who suffered injustice so that you could be welcomed in. Let me tell you about the one who was cut off with no descendants so that you could have an everlasting name, a name better than sons and daughters. The gospel is very powerful here for this man you see, you see the, the sense of preparation, the sense of expectation that reading this Scripture has created for this man? And then for Philip to come along and say, let me tell you how Jesus is the one who brings you into this, who brings you access into all of this. It is clear that sin is us substituting ourselves for God. We've talked about that over the last few weeks. But the gospel is God substituting himself for us. You see, we're the eunuch. I know that physically we're not we're not eunuchs, but but in all other ways, we we are the eunuch. We are the people that God says, no fruit. You are no fruit. That's who, that's who we are in our natural st- natural position, our natural status. We are no fruit. We are no name. But Jesus comes, and he has taken our fruitlessness so that we can be given his everlasting name. That's who we are. Do you see how, how God superintends in all these circumstances? All the details... To bring the message of salvation to this man he brings him to jerusalem he allows this man to experience disappointment he brings philip into his life in a very weird way i'll be honest with you running alongside the cherry I mean, that's kind of odd but that's what god does and philip helps him understand and god opens this man's eyes to the truth to see who jesus is I have two, two homework assignments that I'd like to, to encourage you to consider. I'm, you're not going to turn it in next week. I'm not going to grade it, so don't get stressed. But, but I do want to encourage you to consider two things that you could do, even this week, that might, that might be of help to you. The first one is reflect back to, to the way that God has worked in your life. If if God has worked to orchestrate this encounter that this Ethiopian man has had with Philip to to hear and understand the truth of God's Word, to put his faith in Jesus, think about how did God orchestrate that in your life? What was going on circumstantially in your life that God was using as, as the context for your encounter with Him? Who are the people Maybe there was a person. Maybe there were a group of people that God used in your life to to help bring you to the place where you came to understand the gospel and to put your trust in Jesus. Think about the the, the parts of God's word or the truths of God's word that God used to to bring you to that place of understanding. Because that's what that's the way God works, isn't it? That's the context, but it's not just random. It's God working by His Spirit. So so think about, think back to to what was the circumstance that God was orchestrating in your life when you came to put your faith in Him. And and that's that's the first half of of the first assignment. The second half of it is share that with someone. Tell that story with someone. Maybe you do it today at lunch, you know? You go out of here, you go to Applebee's, or you go someplace, or you go to somebody's house, or maybe it's just you. And your, and your friends, or you and your, your, your family sitting at the table. Maybe it's dinner tonight, maybe it's Wednesday, whatever. But, but consider saying, hey guys, can I tell you about the story of the way that God brought me to the place where I began to understand who He is and I put my trust in Him? Share that story. I think you'll be tremendously blessed, not only to share it with someone else, but to hear from others that story as well. I know I know for for me as a pastor and I know uh those of the, those elders who participate in the new members process we there's a part of of joining the church where where some of the elders sit down with you and ask you to share that story and and I know that that the people who are joining the church feel nervous about it they feel like oh my goodness I'm being evaluated is my story going to be good enough and all this but I'll tell you this I have yet to meet an elder that doesn't say that's my favorite part of being an elder. Because we just get to hear how God has worked in people's lives and nobody's story is identical. Everybody's a little different. But it's amazing and wonderful to hear how God works in people's lives. So so reflect on that. Think back to how God worked and then share that with each other. Look for an opportunity to do that. Here's the second part, second uh, homework assignment. In addition to that, I'd like you to consider thinking this week about how might God be using you like he used Philip. Think about who 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 might be the person or, or the people that God has put in my life or that God has put me in their life in such a way that I could help them as they are searching. Maybe maybe it's it's taking the time to think about what are my friends searching about what are they thinking about what are they longing for how do i see them searching as they as they live their life or or maybe it's maybe it's paying attention to the way that god might be prompting you to start running alongside their chariot not literally obviously but but think about this I, I think for many times we say, well, you know, I'll share the gospel with somebody if God just brings me to that place and it's natural. Well, I got to tell you, it was not natural for Philip to be running next to that guy's chariot. Sometimes sharing our faith with somebody means us getting out of what is comfortable or or normal or natural for us. So, so be tr- be trying at least to pay attention to the voice of God as he might quietly be prompting you to move closer into someone's life to help them understand the truth of the gospel. Because just as God worked in your life and my life, God is still working in people's lives. You know how I know that? Because Jesus hasn't come back yet. The scriptures say that Jesus will come back when the fullness, when the full complement of the people who are going to come to faith in Christ has have come in. Well, he hasn't come back yet. That means they all haven't come. So God is still working in people's lives. Would that he would use us. Wouldn't we be blessed to be used by God in that way? So just as he has worked in your life, may he use us, and may we be looking for opportunities to be used. He is preparing hearts as well. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for the way that you work. You, We've, we've seen, we saw it last week, how you pursue us even, even before the, the full curse was pronounced in the Garden of Eden, you were already revealing your plan to redeem us. So we know you pursue us. But here we see a, a case where, where it's very clear that you work to prepare our hearts and our circumstances that your Spirit would work. We thank you for the way that you have worked in our lives. And Lord, I pray for, for anyone who's here today who, who may not be able to remember that time, who, who may not even think that that time has happened yet. I pray, Lord, that even now, you would be working in their circumstance, in their, their heart, to help them to understand the truth that you love us, and that you have gone to great lengths to, to buy us back, to redeem us, to atone for our sin in sending your own rightful son, Jesus, who himself had no sin, But he took our place on the cross and he died for sin so that we who were the sinners, we who were the ones who had no name, we who were the ones who were fruitless might be welcomed into your family and given a name that is better than sons and daughters. Help us, Lord, to rejoice in the way that you have worked in our lives and be willing to pay attention to the way that you may be working in the lives of people around us. Help us to be attentive. Help us to be attentive to your voice and your spirit working in the lives of people around us. We ask these things, and for your help, in Jesus' name, amen.